Hi, I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats. Before we start this episode, I want to acknowledge the occasionally rough audio quality. In our coverage of the war in Ukraine, we're working hard to bring you firsthand accounts from those who have experienced the war close up. Both of our guests today are halfway around the world, and sometimes that means a less than perfect connection. But it's worth it. I'm confident you'll appreciate their perspectives on the war and the massive relief effort it has required. As always, we've included a transcript of this interview on our website. Thanks. Burn the Boats is proud to support VoteVets, the nation's largest and most impactful progressive veterans organization. To learn more or to join their mission, go to votevets.org. And one day I received a phone call from my sister who lives in Barcelona. And she was like, Nico, we should go. There's a lot of help needed in the border. So I didn't hesitate. And 30 minutes later, we bought plane tickets to go to Krakow. We didn't go with any organization. It was just the two of us uh, mobilized for, by, the, by the situation. So we got to Krakow, got a car and just drove to the border. And, and we spent a week there helping in the at the border in refugee centers. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. As the invasion of Ukraine unfolds, we want to provide timely insights from the experts. So we've launched a series of special unedited episodes separate from our normal content. Today's episode will consist of two interviews. I'm joined first by Anna, a Ukrainian civilian who was forced to flee to Poland to escape the war. She was helped there by our second guest, Nico Marseillan, a volunteer aid worker who has been assisting refugees at the border. Anna, this is Ken Harbaugh, the host of the program. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're you're in Krakow, Poland, is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm right now staying in Krakow and uh, in a special center for Ukrainian refugees. Well, I am very glad that you are safe, but uh, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to to flee your home. Can you tell us a little bit about where you lived in Ukraine? Uh, tell us about your 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 town. Uh, well, I came from Cherniv. It's a beautiful town located in the north of Ukraine, near the border of Belarus and Russia. Uh, we have a really great and beautiful city with a uh, historical past. There are a lot of uh, tourist uh, attractions and there are a lot of places to visit. So every year a lot of people come to us to see these picturesque views. And uh, before the war started, there was living like uh, around 300,000 people. But for now, there are only about uh, around 90,000 people who are left there. And uh, unfortunately, our city isn't that beautiful as it was before, but we still like it. And we really hope that we will rebuild it. What was your life there like, Anna? Were you, were you a student? Were you working? What, what were your favorite things to do in Chernif? Um, I was uh, still studying at school. It was my senior year. I was planning to graduate and enter a university the next year. 
but it didn't happen, unfortunately. And also, uh, it was kind of my hobby, modeling. So I was uh, working sometimes as well. Can you tell us what you were doing the day before the invasion? Uh, well, the day before the invasion, I was doing, I skipped my school classes for a photo shoot for some brand clothing, and we were planning to cooperate the next time, uh, the next week. Uh, and I also was studying and preparing really hard for my exams the next uh, day. I was supposed to go to school, so I went to bed really, uh, late and uh, I was really nervous that day but everything became different so Cherniv is right on the border with with Belarus on the front lines did you believe that Russia would actually invade uh, well I remember how everyone suddenly started talking about the invasion of course I didn't believe it and I read a post in internet where American government said about it, I was like, come on, how could this happen in our days? Uh, why people are so panicking about it? This it even sounds crazy. And uh, we never believed that. And even we, uh, before the invasion started in our school, we had a lectures about uh, what we should do if the explosion started or what we, how we can help people. So it was a bit crazy for us. And we even made jokes about this and never, no one accepted as something serious. Did you or, or your friends or family have any plans to escape or was it a, just a complete shock? We never thought before about uh, leaving our hometown, and uh, every and after the last minute, we didn't plan to do this. So it was a sudden shock decision because we already made uh, a lot of plans for our graduation and uh, the next summer, and uh, how the situation suddenly changed. It's ruined almost everything, but. I still believe I can meet uh, some of my friends uh, really soon. Anna, where were you when you learned that the invasion was actually happening, when you learned that the Russians were crossing the border? Well, the invasion happened at 5 a.m., so everyone was peacefully sleeping at that time. And uh, it was a complete shock when I woke up at 5 a.m. because my friends were constantly scolding me, saying, uh, wake up, you should get your stuff ready. And uh, I was just like, uh, what are you telling me? It's not truth. So then I went to check out uh, in internet. And uh, when I realized it was actually happened, we were just stayed at home. Everyone was of the town, uh, there were explosions around, but uh, no one still didn't realize it until a certain moment in the morning. Was there a particular moment or something that happened that made you realize you had to leave? Uh, yes, I remember the picture of this morning very, very clearly, and uh, 
I remember I had to uh, wake up my mother and my little brother and saying that the invasion just began. And then we uh, was looking at the window and heard a, uh, an alarm that saying that uh, explosions are really nearly. And it was a really scary moment because it was still a bit dark and the moon was outside the street. And suddenly this really loud noise that made us realize that everything is happening for real. And uh, it was really tough when you have to call your grandmother saying, hi, don't be scared, the war just began, take stuff. It's a really terrific moment, I guess. Was everyone close to you able to get out, or did you have to leave family members and, and close friends behind? Uh, it's the first time when we decided to leave. Almost everyone uh, left in uh, our city because uh, there was no ability to do this because uh, uh, constant explosions were everywhere and it was just hidden to move uh, through the city. But um, in the next few weeks, uh, most of our relatives and friends uh, have left our city. And uh, I'm really thankful for God for, they, for that they are making this because it was really scary to uh, call them and uh, check up on these horrible news and realize that they are in a really bad situation now and you can't help in any way. What were they telling you about conditions inside Cherniv uh, after you had already made it to safety? Um, the condition in our city was really bad because um, 70% of our uh, buildings and infrastructure in our city have been destroyed. Uh, people were, uh, ran out of basic supplies like food and water. They don't have any uh, gas, electricity, uh, water supplies in their homes. They are constantly sleeping in the basement and they were making their food uh, outside of the streets because they just can't do it home. So um, they remember the day when we said uh, the last week connected our city with another was destroyed. And uh, people were literally trapped there without anything. But uh, likely the situation became better last days. So the Russian army has left Cherniv now and has has pulled back. Is that is that right? Uh, yes, the last uh, ten days, I guess uh, there was a concentration in Cherniv. Uh, the city starts to uh, rebuild itself. Uh, people start to get their basic supplies, and uh, it's a really uh, relief for all of us. And we're even uh, thinking about uh, coming back here some days, but unfortunately, for now, it's just a dream. You say it's just a dream. Is that because of how unsafe things are? Is it because of the destruction that Cherniv has? experienced. How do you think about going home? Uh, the Chinese 
has been really destroyed and it's really hard to say when the normal life will be back there because uh, uh, as a lot of people say there they will need a few years to rebuild everything and even the next year people won't get a heat when it's going to be winter so it's um, there are just uh, no conditions to go back and uh, it would be really hard to get there something or build your life there. Chernif was not a military target. It was close to the border, but the destruction you've described is against civilians. It's against civilian apartment buildings. Why do you think Putin's army chose to wage war this way? Well, I guess uh, one of the main targets for Russians was to get to Kiev and our city was near the borders and near the our capital city. So um, it was just uh, the next stage in their plan uh, to get to the Kiev. But uh, thanks to our militaries, I guess we showed them that this won't be that easy. And uh, as for military targets, uh, they just uh, became, uh, they just want to scare some people there so they would uh, get through the city a bit easier. But uh, it won't happen. Anna, do you know people serving in the Ukrainian military or the territorial defense forces? Are they telling you um, what they are experiencing? Uh, yes, actually, uh, a lot of my uh, friends uh, came to uh, military forces when the war began, and even my father, he is a military man, so I've been experienced, uh, uh, I've been talking to people uh, like this for a long time, and they are just saying that uh, no one expected that hard situation, but uh, thanks to all the people who are helping, they are really uh, in a, a better situation than it could be. Because, um, like, in the city, there are a lot of volunteers who help our uh, militaries. And uh, the situation uh, isn't that bad for them. They are feeling very uh, proud to be in our uh, militaries. And... Uh, saying that they will do everything to protect our country. You must be extremely worried uh, about them. Uh, are they are they able to stay in touch with you and tell you how they're doing? Uh, well, yes, some of them. Uh, there are a lot of troubles with connections right now, so we can touch with them. Uh, get in touch with them for like once in a week or two weeks. So it's really worried situation when you can't even check on people how they are feeling, if they are good or if they are even alive. It's 
really scarce sometimes, but uh, for now, everything is great. And uh, we just happy that everyone is here with us and uh, we can uh, know that uh, everything is good. You said you are in a center for Ukrainian refugees. Have you felt welcomed uh, in in Poland and supported with what you need? Uh, yes, actually, when we uh, came to Poland, we were really surprised of how people are nice to everyone, how they support each other, how uh, they we were welcomed there because um, it was really hard for some time. Because uh, after our city, we were uh, still in a really bad thoughts. We were constantly running, and to came there, it was just a calm life where uh, even uh, one man in the border gave us a hug. So we were like, "Oh my God, this can't be real!" And sometimes we even can't believe it, because we get everything we uh, we need and. We were worried at the first time that we will came there and uh, get nothing to do, uh, like where to live or what to eat. But uh, we have everything and even more, and we are really thankful for this. What can people in America do uh, to to help? Is is there anything that our audience can do? Well, actually, yes. Uh, unfortunately, now many people are thinking like, uh, "What can I? What can my person do?" And uh, it can change anything. But in the real situation, it's completely opposite. So everyone can help by just simply sharing these uh, what horrible things are happening in Ukraine now. So that everyone can know uh, that the war is real, that people are suffering, they are dying. Like uh, the big cities uh, like uh, Mariupol, Bucha, they are just destroyed and right out of uh, earth. And they uh, many people just them and still suffering and uh, if you can uh, just share or uh, involve some famous people some people in the government or the, the people just demand a really uh, big actions because uh, we really need a uh, world support, uh, support now and it's really important for us also, if you uh, can uh, donate just one dollar to a local charity organization, it would help a lot because uh, a lot of people now in Ukraine don't have any basic supplies. So uh, volunteering organizations are helping the most right now. And uh, even one dollar, it's uh, in Ukraine. You can buy a bread for this, so it means that one people will be uh, won't be hungry the next day, and it uh, really can save someone's life. So everyone's action is important, and uh, we are really hope that uh, people will support us. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today. Is there anything else? that you would like to share uh, about your experience and about the situation in Ukraine? 
I just want to say that uh, people in Ukraine are now really thankful for everyone for their support, for their actions. We can feel uh, your kindness and we can feel that uh, everything will be all right. We are really hoping for this. We uh, for this. We believe in our victory and uh, just uh, praying for all the people who are still in a really bad situation there. Thank you so much, Anna. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II. Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. So, Nico, would love to just get an idea of what drew you to this. What were you doing before you decided to um, to get yourself to Poland to be on the front lines of this volunteer effort? Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from, from Argentina, but I have been living in, in London the last two years. I'm studying a, a master's there. And to be honest, since the war started, I found myself several times thinking how to help. Um, but I didn't know what to do exactly. Should I just help a local charity? Should I, don't know, donate money to, to one of the agencies that are working um, on the territory? Um, living in London and, and having friends from Russia and from Ukraine made this war feel different for me, uh, being so close. And of course, a lot of people talking about it and just could feel um, the feelings of my Ukrainian and Russian friends um, just pushed me to, to try to help. Um, and one day I received a, a phone call from my sister who lives in Barcelona. Um, and she was like, Nico, we should go. There's a lot of help needed in the border. So I didn't hesitate. And 30 minutes later, we bought plane tickets to go to Krakow. Um, we didn't go with any organization. It was just the two of us uh, mobilized for, by, the, by the situation. So we got to Krakow, got a car, and just drove to the border, and, and we spent a week there helping in the uh, the border in refugee centers. I want to learn more about that, but you mentioned the 
the feelings of your Russian and Ukrainian friends. Um, understanding, of course, that your Russian friends are are expats; they're living in London. But how yeah. how did those conversations go? Yeah, in general, like my Russian friends, all of them were against the war. They they couldn't believe what was happening, um, and yeah, to a point they were a little bit embarrassed um, about what was happening, especially having also like you know our NBA cohort, a lot of Ukrainian friends. Um, but yeah, but they were the the first ones to be honest to start raising funds and start to try to conscientize and, and make people understand what was happening. And constantly they were saying it's not a, a, a war um, caused by Russia, it's a war caused by Putin. Um, so it was, it was really interesting to hear both sides of the story, but both of them, both Ukrainian and Russian people thinking the same thinking that this is madness and just because a crazy guy woke up this one morning wanting to invade, now we have like 10 million refugees and of course a lot of people suffering like like Anna explained. What was your first reaction when you got to the border? What were you saying? Yeah, the situation is critical, way worse than I expected before going. I knew it was gonna it was going to be hard, but I didn't expect to see so much suffering. Just imagine like thousands of people cross the border every day. Uh, men cannot leave the country. So 99% are women and children alone. Uh, first time I got to the border, what I saw was hundreds of children waiting in line. Yeah, the same line you would find in a kindergarten if you go early in the morning, if you drive, I don't know, by your city or by your community. Um, just imagine that they have to travel on average three days to get to the border, and there they have to wait between four and eight hours to cross to Poland. Temperatures are super low, around minus 10, minus 15 degrees Celsius. And because many of them, especially children, have spent days in basements without seeing the light, a lot of them are ill when they get to, when they get to, the, to the refugee centers in, in Poland. Uh, and it was very sad. I remember... When we arrived, I think it was a, a first day, and I think it was yeah, on a Saturday, we were there at the border, and a kid died. A child literally froze to death. Uh, so just imagine like, seeing that and experiencing that, like a, a, a small kid. Um, yeah, he couldn't tolerate the cold, and because of what was happening physically and emotionally, he literally just died. And for someone who is in, in the USA or, or in Europe, I think it's hard to imagine the situation. And I think that's what Anna was trying to mention, trying to get people to understand that the world is real and there's a, a lot of, of suffering. Because imagine for one second, what would you feel if in five minutes you have to say goodbye to, to your kids uh, because the Russian army is shelling your city? Most probably is the last time you will see them because you will be fighting in the front line. Um, yeah, and as Anna explained, like, she only hopes that his father and his friends are alive, but she doesn't know. Um, and yeah, just imagine your kids, they will be days on the move, avoiding bombs and sleeping in improvised homes. They will cry every night, wondering why you're not there with them. 
um, I remember one day in the wrestling center was a kid crying. It was his birthday. And he told me and my sister, my father promised me that he will be here with me uh, in this special day. But of course, his father was fighting in the front line. So because we live far away, it doesn't mean that all this is not happening. Yeah. You spent time in the refugee centers. Has there been an effort yet, um, now that some of the the immediate material needs have been addressed, to think about the emotional trauma, especially visited upon these kids that needs to be uh, dealt with? Are there counselors in these camps? Um, when, when we were there, it was the first days of the war. So as, we, as you can imagine, uh, agencies and institutions were providing basic needs, uh, like housing, transportation, food. Uh, there was no one helping on the emotional side. Um, I think between all of us, all the volunteers, we're trying to do that. We're trying to talk with a lot of people, try to understand uh, yeah, how they were feeling, try to just be there, silent, listening to them. I think it's super important. And that's how we, how we met Anna, that we took she and her family to, to Krakow. And literally just helping, putting your, yeah, your shoulder. Um, there's a lot of suffering, of course. Like little kids don't understand what's happening. Yeah. So it's very sad to see literally thousands of people, of kids running around. Just for one second, they think they're okay. But then they realize when they go to sleep that they're alone. They're only with, I don't know, with their mother. Part of their family is not there and they are not sleeping in their bed. Um, so when I was there, I would say that there was no emotional support, uh, but I guess that that changed since, uh, since the moment I was there. For those thinking about helping, are there organizations that you would recommend uh, working with, organizations that are, that are doing very good work on the ground? Um, yeah, I was, even refugees is the first one that is trying to coordinate the efforts uh, on the ground. Well, I'm sorry, the can side. you say the name again? Yeah, yeah uh, UN Refugees. I see, yes. United Nations, yeah, the, 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 the body of the United Nations that goes with refugees. And also Interosos is an Italian uh, NGO helping, uh, trying to provide doctors and medicines in Poland, but also in Ukraine. Um, so at the beginning, I think that the main challenge was to, to coordinate the efforts of a lot of people wanted to help. Um, but I think now uh, the, the most important thing is to try to support refugees uh, when they arrive to different countries. Um, we're talking about 4 million people that are around Europe and also now in the States looking to rebuild their life. And the only way to do it so that they can do it is by feeling welcomed and support. So as Anna said, I think everyone should get involved and help refugees integrate to the communities where they arrive, especially considering that it's very hard for them after everything that they have been through. Well, thank you for stepping up, Nico, and and going to 
the front lines of, of that refugee crisis. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, no, I think repeat a little bit. Um, There's a, a, a very tough situation that the world is suffering. Um, when you're there and you just listen to thousands of stories of people that lost everything, uh, that they know they don't know where to go. Literally, they were asking us, like Nico and, and my sister, should I go to live to France, Spain, Italy? Like uncertainty, it's 100% for them. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know if their fathers, uh, husbands are alive. So I think each of us should try to get involved because the outcome of this crisis depends on us. Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks again to Anna and Nico for joining me. Thanks for listening to Burn the Boats. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're always looking to improve the show. For updates and more, follow us on Twitter at team underscore Harbaugh. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Thanks to our partner, VoteVets. Their mission is to give a voice to veterans on matters of national security, veterans care, and issues that affect the lives of those who have served. VoteVets is backed by more than 700,000 veterans, family members, and their supporters. To learn more, go to votevets.org. Burn the Boats is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer is Declan Roars, and Sean Rolhoffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloya, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.